As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, does Antonio Conte's appointment mean Tottenham are no longer Spursy? Can Chelsea's fringe players make their mark? Will City put United to the sword in the Manchester derby? And do Newcastle United have a plan? This is The Game. Hello again, welcome back to The Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wizencroft in London and in person alongside Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark. Ian Hawkey joins us from Spain as well. This is the first time since I started doing this podcast that I've been in the same room with Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark. Gentlemen, you are beautiful. Thank you <laughs> very liar. much. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm very happy about this. Ian, I wish you were here as well. Listen, thank you all for listening. But yes, it, it is a momentous occasion for us on the Game Podcast and myself in particular. So I'm going to enjoy this one. Hope you enjoy it too. Loads for us to discuss. We're, of course, reflecting on a big week in the Champions League. Let's start with Liverpool. They, they've cruised into the last 16 with a 2-0 win over 10-man Atletico Madrid. And to be honest, it really should have been more on the evening. Was once again eventful Uh, two assists for Trent Alexander-Arnold you got a couple of the headlines as did the red card for Atletico Madrid's Felipe a straight red card as well as Luis Suarez getting booed back at Anfield as well Um, where should we begin where should we begin Tom the red card for me it's got to be the red card because again I found myself watching a Liverpool Atleti game and just thinking oh what a shame what a shame they've lost another man to a slightly controversial red card decision because it it did spoil it it was great fun watching Liverpool play that kind of fast intense way that they play and create so many chances as you say it should have been far more but um, yeah I did find myself ruining the red card slightly because I I can't quite work it out does anyone know whether it was for the foul or whether it's for the walk away or it was for the foul I mean which I'm disappointed about I think I would have quite enjoyed it if it had been just for the fact that he was ignoring him so blatantly. Like, I'm just going to roll two yellow cards into one here just to make it, you know, for double impact. I would have quite liked that because there's a bit too much disrespect of referees, and that was clear. But it was a red. It wasn't a red. It wasn't. It straight. wasn't a red. It no. was a red. Nah, what? what? It was a red. Why? Because he went down the back of his leg. It, it was a red. Yeah. No, no, I think and the was, ball was. I think that about was accidental. Ten feet ahead. No, I think it was like a classic clip. The angle. But this is the point. This is da- that's dangerous play. It's dangerous ah, play. No, you can't on. say it was a bit of an accident. A lot of bad tackles are a bit of an accident. No one really intends to no. go over the ball, for example, and, and hurt someone. But when you do, it's a red card. This must be deja vu for Ian. We're going to have to bring him in as a mediator <laughs> again. We've got another red card. Another Liverpool Atleti game. I think more cynical fouls where players don't have any intent to get the ball and they 
they're just taking a player out should be red cards because they you can injure someone. It's violent conduct. Ian Hawkey, red card adjudicator. We'll come to Gregor <laughs> in a minute. He's our defensive adjudicator. Uh, Ian, what did you think? I, I think there's a there's a new criteria. A Champions League red card. Um, <laughs> no, we, we have had a few of these, which is why we end up talking about it on, on Thursdays. What do people think about the Hummels one? Because that was also, I think, debatable under the terms of, well, I suppose broadly harm. But he went off and it was um, probably slightly worse than Felipe's. But, but he didn't really um, catch the player. He slid sort exactly. of two feet ahead of the player because he wanted to block where he thought the ball was going. Anthony beat him to it, tried a little trick and then, I don't know, just went over the top of him. He never really caught the player. And I think given a straight red card, when you don't catch the player, unless it's something that is, you know, real intent to hurt someone, it sh- for me, shouldn't be given as a red card. I thought that was harsh. Don't laugh at me. I'm not flip-flopping. No, look, I mean, no, I'm just learning as well as how beautiful you are in person, Hugh. I'm realising <laughs> this is where you and I are going to differ. Because I actually thought the Hummels one was probably more of a red card because of the dangerous intent and the way he kind of went in. In real time, you thought, you know, if he'd caught him, he could have really hurt him. Whereas the Felipe one is he catches him, but he was just trying to like flick his ankles and it wasn't, you know, I, to me, that's a yellow and Hummels is more of a red, but still, still, still soft for me, but more of a red. So we've got one Hummels red. Hummels red. Felipe, Felipe yellow. yellow. Yeah. Gregor. Neither red. Both yellow. Both yellow. There's a lad brought up both, in the football they're league. Both, <laughs> true. They're both getting a borderline because it wasn't just a clip of the ankles. It was forceful. You know, he, he did give him a, a fair old swipe, but I still think that's too much to be deemed a a straight red card and I think Hummels yeah I don't think it was any malicious intent I don't know that doesn't matter now and you go with a straight leg you're risking it but I still think as you say he didn't really make much contact and for that reason yellow would have been good enough but I'm a defender Ian? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I'm with the Hummels Reds, Felipe Yellow I'm also quite enjoying the huge difference between the two players' reactions Hummels was utter chivalry afterwards wasn't he he was he, he had a chat with Anthony the, the, the player who'd been endangered as it were <laughs> he was civil to the referee whereas Felipe as you said was just you know schoolboy petulance wasn't he Ian is this the Simeone way again you know is this more of what you see week in week out with Atleti or is it just that they seem to get worked up by playing Liverpool well, I mean, it's you know, it's clearly it's clearly a classic grudge match now, isn't it? Yeah. I would say it's actually not the Simeone way. It's completely opposite. I mean, the classic Simeone, the rise of Atletico, was about players like Diego Godin, who knew absolutely sensitively the line between yellow and red, and were really crafty about it. I think in the in these last two games against Liverpool, we've seen Griezmann unlucky, but you know the the, the rules were applied correctly. And uh, Hermoso penalty in the in the first game in in Madrid, which was a panicking centre half, wasn't it? And similarly, Felipe, there was a, there was an element of misjudgment, which I you know I think all the time now, Atletico's defence is is being compared very unfavourably with what is supposed to be the sort of standard of this club. And yeah, I think he doesn't have the quality of, of centre halves that he used to have. I've got to say, I've been watching Atletico's time in the Champions League at least they, they're not the same team are they Ian you think about Antonio Conte coming to England you think about some of the great managers in the Premier League and you wonder how much further Diego Simeone can take Atletico Madrid before there's maybe a breakup of the relationship or a, another team spots an opportunity to maybe prize him away and give him a new challenge where do you think we stand with that? Yeah, that, that, that's a very good question. And, and we're in slightly unprecedented territory. Next month, it, it'll be the 10th anniversary of his 
being in charge, which is just a, a length of time you just don't hear of anymore. He has set himself the challenge of reshaping Atletico, making them making them value possession of the ball more. And he's got some really good attacking players now. You know, he's got Joao Felix, he's got Griezmann back. They are obliged to play a different way. They're also obliged to be slightly more surprising to opponents. But it, it, it is a difficult transition. I would point out that they are the Spanish champions, so it's not as if they're you know they're falling apart or the or the thing hasn't developed at all. And I think personally you're right, for Simeone, there must be the question soon, what am I as a manager? Am I simply Atletico through and through, and this is going to be a sort of Ferguson-esque dynasty, and I am going to show that I can I can really reinvent teams every five years or so, or do I actually need to move to you know to discover a bit more of myself as a manager? I would say that it, you know the person who makes this decision will be Simeone. You know he has he has enormous power at that club, and he is by far the most important individual in the way. I think we should point out that Liverpool were outstanding in the first half, the first half an hour. You know, we've spoken for quite a long time about this game now. It's familiar not really, now. It's not familiar really now. mentioned how blistering they were in that first half an hour. As you see, Trent Alexander-Arnold was just, his, his deliveries were, were sublime. I thought the midfield was brilliant as well. I thought Oxlade-Chamberlain driving in those little kind of pockets inside channels. Henderson joining in. You talk about the Liverpool fullbacks doing so much, but they're kind of on par with, with Oxley chamberlain and Henderson. It's almost like a you know they join in to make like a five-man midfield. The two men split wide and they, they can find little holes in, in between them. So it's so hard to play against. We're talking about, yes, Atletico normally are so compact and resolute and very hard to break through. But Liverpool, at that pace and on that form, my God, they were they're, they're hard to match, really. They're looking like the real deal this season in the Champions League and possibly the Premier League as well. Could be their biggest rivals this season, Manchester City. They looked a lot better last night. They swept aside Club Rouge 4-1 to bounce back from two poor results by their high standards. City now need a point from their last two games in the group to seal a spot in the last 16 for the ninth straight season. But Kevin De Bruyne, their Belgian midfielder, didn't start the game. He's lacking in some form right now. How big an issue could that be over the course of the season if it persists for Manchester City Tom? It would be a massive issue if it persists. I don't think it will. I think this is actually Pep managing his star quite sensibly. You know you have to remember De Bruyne had two separate fairly severe injuries. One in the Champions League final and then again in the Euros he picked up that ankle knock which has affected him. I was looking at the stats this morning and even just taking the Premier League he's played half the number of minutes so far this season as Pep's you know rotated he's tried Jack Grealish in different positions and I think actually it could it could come good for City if towards the Christmas period a lot of runner games and into the new year you suddenly have a Kevin De Bruyne back on song I don't think they need to worry about it just just yet but obviously the number of injuries he's had could be a concern but I think it's Pep just managing his star quite sensibly City or any team on the planet would want a fitting fitting, uh, rearing Kevin De Bruyne but they've coped without him in the past they won the league in the past without him for most of the season and I also would have to point out that the form Phil Foden's in it's just like he's alleviating that burden massively so yes of course I I agree with Tom I I think he's managing his minutes he doesn't look like 
he's kind of at full health yet and I think probably Pep's just managing him and, and hoping to see the best of him soon It was put to Pep Guardiola that uh, RB Leipzig had done Manchester City a favour by getting a draw against Paris Saint-Germain Ian uh, he responded by saying when you're at Manchester City you realise nobody helps you you know never wants to make a, a routine win over Bruges go away that boring wants a few headlines doesn't mm-hmm. he Pep do you understand what he means by that? I can think of a very very long list of clubs who would feel that they have less favours than Manchester City in all things but I think you know Pep is sensitive enough to know that there is a quite entrenched siege mentality at Manchester City when it comes to the Champions League and, and UEFA, and it's you know it does him no harm to channel that um, and to you know just remind fans, maybe some players if necessary, that while they do have a lot of advantages, there's a perception that uh, UEFA particularly don't give them any advantages. So, I, oh yeah, I think it's just a, a little mind game tease, isn't it? Yeah, Manchester City and UEFA get along just fine, don't they? So, <laughs> I'm sure it's uh, not too much. Anyway, Manchester City looking good for qualification. Um, Tuesday's football saw Chelsea grind out a 1-0 win over Malmo. Um, Callum hudson Adoy impressed beautifully laying on a goal for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Uh, their manager, Thomas Tuchel, very impressed as well. Hakim Ziyech um, has promised that there's going to be more from him in a Chelsea shirt. Billy Gilmore, Conor Gallagher, Armando Broa, all on loan, but very, I think, very likely to have some Chelsea future. I don't know what you guys think about it. Will any of those players make it? if you like, at Chelsea, because they'll also, I think, have many suitors come the January transfer window and definitely in the summer as well. What do you think, Gregor? Yeah, well, it depends what making it is for Chelsea now, I suppose. <laughs> you know, it's like... Having a long, t- long, long, <laughs> longish career at the club. Yeah, well, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I suppose, you you could say it has, but without well, playing enough football. His contract suggests he has, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they, they all have very lengthy contracts. It's great to be a Chelsea team player of a certain standard. Hudson-Odoi, was always, you know, he, he comes in and you see these flashes and you think he's threatening that he could be a he could be one that would have a long term future and and be a thrilling prospect, but then he dips off and you just see you know Tuchel sometimes calls him out a little bit saying I think I need more from him, but he's he's got it he's got it in the locker too, um, and beyond that yes all these guys on loan they can dip in and out of the team Chelsea's strength and depth is just incredible right now players they can call upon from the academy and from elsewhere as well just from the amount of money they've spent over the years their squad is so strong and deep at the moment Would you want to stay at the club if you were those players? Let's think of Billy Gilmore who's obviously at Norwich on loan but Conor Gallagher who's had the opportunity to play football he's impressing Armando Broja's impre- impressing for club and country as well Hakim Ziyech has already impressed at Ajax and isn't really getting the opportunities to start regularly and then Callum Hudson-Odoi I mean all of these players could be doing more every weekend than what we actually see from them at the moment It's a conundrum I mean you, you look at Mason Mount's the obvious player that we've not spoken about so far and he, he he's taken it upon himself he's done it he's, he's made himself undroppable for for several managers now and it's whether the players have got it w- within them and the kind of mentality I think to produce the, their very best those high levels every single week I'd say looking at Conor Gallagher now he's someone who you, he, you'd think has that kind of same bit of steel about him that same mentality so potentially if he keeps developing at the rate he is he could be someone else who, who has a big future at Chelsea Call me a massive cynic, but I think all those players you've outlined are heading down the Kurt Zuma route for me, Hugh. I think, you know, a bit of time in the Chelsea team to raise your profile and then probably move to a 
a rival, a mid-table rival for about 30 million. I mean, that's, that's a transfer that's worked for everyone. It's worked for Zuma. He's gone to a club like West Ham. He's playing regularly. He looks good. And Chelsea have made 30 million. We, you know, we there were lots of these players over the years who Chelsea haven't given a chance to and therefore haven't quite made any money on in terms of their investment. I think you'd be looking at these players. Obviously, the Hudson-Odoi issue is a fascinating one because they were so desperate to keep him for so long and believed in his potential. But I wouldn't be surprised... Yes, as much as we were loving Conor Gallagher the other day, if he was given a bit of a shot in the Chelsea team, but then ends up transferring somewhere for forty million, I don't know. Call me a massive cynic, but that that to me seems you either Mason Mount or you Kurt Zuma, and I think of those players listed, they're probably heading down the Zuma route. I have to say, watching Chelsea the last couple of weeks and seeing how many of them have have been playing the academy kind of graduates, it crossed my mind like how many players given this opportunity over the years that haven't really hasn't really been forthcoming how many Chelsea academy players who've been so highly thought of in the past and haven't got this opportunity would have flourished in the in the first team well how how many because, transfer embargoes have there been exactly yeah. that can open the gates for them but you know these players have to go up to this level and show they can step up and and match it and you improve when you're playing around better players that's that's a fact so you know there there might there might be more of these kind, more of these guys in in the academy that have just missed. You know, Trevor Chalaba. He was in, I watched him on loan at Huddersfield, and he didn't pull up any trees. And now he's been thrown in the team as a centre half. And you think, and he's get, he's another one who's going to get a five year contract. <laughs> and you think, just just as you mentioned that, because you've played in the EFL, I mean, there are a few who haven't pulled up trees on loan, especially in the championship, exactly. as young players. <clears throat> Emil Smith Rowe, for, for example, you know, who is just transformed mm. in an Arsenal shirt. Uh, what's the difference? You're playing around better players. I also think the way that you're developed in academies now is very different to to the kind of rough and tumble of of uh, even the championship. More than anything, it's playing alongside better players. You know, I I started in Nottingham Forest. I played alongside better players, and I think I played better football there. When you drop down, you've got to excel. You've got to be the best player if you want to progress. Not everyone plays like that. Not everyone. Most players just excel in a better team, and I think you're seeing that with someone like Chalaba. Right, let's move on to Manchester United next. I've left them until now because, frankly, we speak about Manchester United all the time of late on the game podcast. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, once again, scoring a late equaliser, this one in injury time, to give Manchester United a massive point away at Atalanta. It leaves them top of Group F with a huge game coming at Villarreal next. Uh, Rafael Varane went off with injury. He's now out for a month, missing from the heart of the Manchester United defence, which, by the way, looks very shaky without team um, but there have been Ian criticisms of late of, of how Manchester United can get the best out of their team whilst also getting the best out of Cristiano Ronaldo nine goals already for the Portuguese is he less of a problem than we thought he was going to be I've never really bought into this uh, idea that, that when Ronaldo arrived a huge problem was inherited he has done astonishingly well Without his goals they would be bottom of their Champions League group I'm pretty sure that's a fact yes I think this debate starts from the wrong place sometimes. He's not going to do so much of the rigorous defensive work from his position, but he hasn't at uh, you know, the, the clubs he's been at really for the last 10 years. I think that's, that's something that Manchester United really should have the resources and the cleverness to sort out. He's, um, you know, he's, he's already invaluable, isn't he? I think he is. I think he is. But, um, 
but he's rescuing Manchester United right now. It wasn't meant to be like that. They were meant to dominate teams. They were meant to play free-flowing, beautiful football. He was just meant to be, you know, the icing on the cake, you know, the pièce de résistance. He was meant to finish things off. And although he's playing fantastically well, the team isn't. It was in utter disarray. It was all over the place. It was shambolic. And I think that is that is a major issue. I don't know if Ronaldo is the cause, all I'm saying is it's happened since he arrived. It has, and it's, but it's been happening for a long time. It was happening long before he arrived, Hugh, but let's be honest. And I think he has only added to that triumph element that we've talked about before with Manchester United, particularly in the Champions League. It's triumph and disaster. It's you know euphoria and utter misery. It's the only, they, Those are the two options, and you keep going until you eventually get knocked out probably in the quarterfinals by a team that you probably would expect United to beat. I think just echoing Ian's point, I was looking at the stats this morning, Ronaldo's played more minutes in the Champions League than any other outfield player for United this season. That says a hell of a lot about his importance. And I think that that goal, that equalising goal, it was interesting how obviously it took a bit of luck in terms of Mason Greenwood, I think, being able to flick the ball up to him for the volley. It also hit the referee in the build-up yeah. to the goal and he didn't yeah. stop play, which was quite odd. And, it came, and know, it came from the kind of not complaining. Ronaldo, Roy of the Rovers type run, didn't it? Where I'm gonna, I'm, I can't trust any of you lot. And where's my mate Bruno Fernandes to give me an assist? And otherwise, you're all hopeless. Which is that—that's the only problem, isn't it? You know, you were talking about Ronaldo coming in. United yet still, to me, haven't geared their team towards playing to Ronaldo. They still don't put crosses into the box for one of the best headers of a ball that the game has ever seen, in my opinion. They still don't have people out wide sending balls into him. Apart from that, that Luke Shaw, I think, who put in the cross for the winner at home. The late winner, I think it was. So you're going to have this. and But as Ian says, he's probably not the problem, I don't think. The first goal, though, was exquisite. The kind of speed and interplay around his little kind of back heel touch. When you put so many good players on the pitch, that's what they can produce sometimes. But it's just all the, it's just the other you know, yeah. 89 minutes that are the issue. I've got mates. I've got mates calling Manchester United moments FC because they play in moments. You know, they they have the special moments, but the rest of the time they're 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 pretty atrocious. Actually, I thought this particular performance against Atalanta had more issues that we haven't seen before. Um, I know he, he changed the system. He had Varane come off with the injury. He then changed system to a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, if you like. And the players didn't really seem to know what they were, they were doing at all for a lot of that game. No, I know we've said. Where it have we heard that before? No, I know. We've, I know we've said it before, but it just looked like a new, a new way of not knowing what they were doing. You know, like, you know, you had Marcus Rashford. You know, when they were two up front at the start of the game, and he would just be on the left wing as if it was a four-three-three. He wasn't playing through the middle, so he got taken off. Cavani came on, stayed through the middle of the pitch. Manchester United looked look much better, but you had periods where centre backs were galloping down the, the touch line, taking people on. You had strikers picking the ball up. You know, in the defensive midfield area, you had. Eric Bailly flying through the penalty area like he was the goalkeeper but obviously using his feet I mean the, the, like eight last ditch challenges or whatever I thought Manchester United were pretty all over the place I've got to say and you wouldn't expect that from any team at that level doesn't matter whether it's you know a team from Kazakhstan or a team from Manchester you know it doesn't make any difference you'd expect no you'd expect organisation come on it's the Champions League you've just described a team from Manchester where everybody's doing unorthodox unexpected things how about Manchester City? Joao Cancelo, the left back who does everything. Uh, Phil Foden, who is a, a brilliant deep midfielder and brilliant in the penalty area. This is a much better team, Manchester City, sure. But but the idea that, that you can somehow interpret every piece of 
positional unorthodoxy at Manchester United as some sort of state of confusion, I think is a little unfair. Right. So you're, you're saying it was all part of the master plan. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, they, they, are, they, are, they are chaotic and, and, you know, look short of confidence when they don't have the ball sometimes. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think... Uh, I think you're a little extreme about this. Sometimes. So all in all, a positive performance. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I think the space that Zapata was left with probably wasn't part of the plan. Maguire trying to hear over to to, to fill a gap that was just... What's going on with chasm. What's going on with Harry Maguire? I don't know. He's like it's some kind of sign of existential crisis at the moment. It's, uh, it's very strange. He had this beginning of last season, kind of, was it? And then he, came, he responded brilliantly and he... And, uh, and, you know, I think he performed brilliant for England as well during the summer and this has come from nowhere but he, is, he doesn't look himself and you know the loss of Varane for a month is, is going to be another huge blow particularly with the, the derby coming up Phil Jones is fit don't worry guys Phil Jones is fit <laughs> he'll be back I think we said a few weeks or, or rather last week that Solskjaer had three games to save his job so we've had two of them now he, he beat Spurs 3-0 He's rescued a two-all draw at Atalanta and he's got the big Manchester derby this weekend. Before we talk about those three games and whether whatever result happens will save his job, do we think Manchester United are going to get embarrassed again this weekend? Uh, no, I don't think they will. I don't think they, it can't happen again. No way. I think the the players... <laughs> no it, way. You're trying to convince yourself. There. I know. Well, I, just, I just don't see how tactically and also even just the players' professional pride, which seems to be so lacking in that Liverpool game, I don't see how they can put in a similar kind of performance and get turned over in the same way. I also think sometimes that kind of performance is geared to Liverpool who do this crash bang wallop with we're, we're 3-0 up against you so well. City sometimes are a bit more measured and a bit more considered and play at a slightly slower pace sometimes which allows you maybe to get more men behind the ball and will allow United to just lose 3-1 which will be okay <laughs> now, there's a reason I asked if it would be an embarrassment again because it's not about the scoreline per se I went to a game that Manchester City won 2-0 at Old Trafford in the Premier League where Manchester United barely touched the ball and that was an embarrassment might not I remember been, they were keeping it in the corner yeah, the might last not, 10 minutes might not have been on the scoreline but Manchester United could not get the ball back from Manchester City and at Old Trafford that would be deemed an embarrassment so I looked at the performance against Atalanta and thought if they you know in the words of Paul Scholes if you play like that against Manchester City see what happens you know I, I don't know I'm just asking the question anyway what do you think Gregor? It's eminently possible yeah absolutely <laughs> I mean watching that game I watched you know watched them play Atalanta twice and you just see a better a more intelligently coached team um you don't see necessarily a better group of players, I don't think. But you see a team that when they lose possession, they burst their gut to get back behind the ball. And then they, from a block, they kind of, they don't just let the team have the ball in front of them either. They go and press and they work really hard and you can see that they know what they're doing. And they're fast on the break. Zapata was a big threat, I thought. Look, we've discussed this so many times. I don't I, I don't think even if they, do, they are embarrassed that Ollie's going to lose his job. I don't think he's, I think, it, I think he's done enough in the last couple of games just to put that conversation to bed because that's all it takes in Man United I think it, you know if you lost these two games at the derby coming up you're looking at it you're getting sort of itchy fingers on the trigger but he's done enough as he always does Ian what do you think about it if it's a, a comfortable victory for Manchester City is that enough to keep Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the, in the job and, and how do you think the game will go I think that's the likeliest scenario a comfortable victory for uh, Manchester City I, I think it's become very very clear that 
the instinct is is to trust in the in the current manager and it, it's it's going to take something heavy to change that and i think possibly as important as humiliating outcomes against local rivals is the champions league and you know they are now on par to qualify so you know that's that, that is an important box ticked and and, I, and you know I, gregor makes the point that atalanta are a very good team so you know drawing 2-2 there is not a bad result really I mean, they've got Chelsea coming up as well, but in between City and Chelsea, they've got Watford and Villarreal. As long as they probably beat Watford and maybe get a dr- even a draw away at Villarreal, he'll be fine, honestly. I, I don't see it changing. We'll react to the Manchester Derby coming up this Saturday on Monday's episode of The Game Podcast. But remember, if you're enjoying us, rate us, leave us a review, and of course, make sure you're subscribed. Up next, we'll talk Spurs and Newcastle's managerial positions. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Antonio Conte is the new Spurs manager, replacing Nuno Espirito Santo, who lost his job earlier this week. The former Chelsea, Juventus and Inter Milan boss signs an 18-month deal with the possibility of extending for a further year. The Italian says he wants to bring consistency to the team. He also said he didn't join in the summer when the, the pair were linked because of the emotional fallout of his departure from Inter Milan. Now, some Spurs fans, you know who you are, already targeting a place in the top four this season. Yeah, I've seen your tweets. Uh, In the next 30 months, the question is, what is success for Antonio Conte at Spurs and how do you think he will achieve it? Ian, I'm going to start with you on this. Clearly, top four would be a good measure of success this season. Probably a long shot. But there's a a wider thing with Conte. You know, what he does is, is win domestic titles quite quickly with all the club sides he's taken over. 
What he doesn't do is do very well in Europe. Now, Spurs are in, in the bottom tier of Europe this season. And, you know, maybe maybe that will be the Conference League will be his first European trophy. But he, he's not going to win the Premier League in this 18-month initial period, is he? So in his own mind, he will see the potential for Tottenham to be challenging for the Premier League, which they were not so long ago, last time, four or five years ago. But he's, he's identified the right thing, hasn't he? You know, if, if he starts making them consistent, then that's the start. That's a base. And then dreams of the top four start looking more and more realistic. He's also made it very clear that uh, money will have to be spent because there's a lot of refreshing to do with this team. And he will he will have a say in that. And it'll be a, a noisy and probably argumentative say. Ian, it's all right if you say the EFL Cup. You know, you don't have to meander towards, <laughs> towards no answer at all. <laughs> yeah, that would be a bonus. And, and uh, you know, he'd enjoy that. Um, initially and, and immediately say it was a stepping stone to, to something else but um, yeah I, yes I, I suppose um, yeah a, yeah, a, a domestic cup would, would would keep people quiet for a while Just on the spending Ian how much do you think he needs to invest in this Spurs squad to, to, to reach that target of, of top four? Oh I, I, these things are, are hard to put a, a figure on aren't they? Um, what Conti will be able to do is attract people some people perhaps who've who've played with him before i'm thinking of inter's need probably to uh move on players two or three of whom would would like to work with conte again this how much does he have to spend depends a lot on what spurs get out of the door as well as it always will with uh, with that club there are some very valuable assets at tottenham some of whose value is diminishing. It's a complicated equation on who comes in and, and who goes out. But, you know, we are talking in excess of 100 million, I think, to make them genuinely competitive. In the next 30 months, Tom, what does success look like for Antonio Conte and what will he need to achieve it? More than 100 million for a start, probably 200 million as a, just the base level, to be honest. Um, I honestly think if he gets top four in that second season, that'll be pretty good. I mean, looking on the outside, I still we're talking about Conte. Ian's talking about it wins titles. That's to me is the only way it makes sense. A short-term deal, win-win for both. You get a bit more experience in the Premier League, get us into the top four, and then you probably take a bigger job. That's no offense to Tottenham fans. Don't send me angry tweets, but <laughs> like, let's be honest, this is a weak, weak squad. He'll do well to get them in to the top six this season, I think. When you look at the Premier League as it is, with West Ham really strong. Leicester. Leicester, mm. you know, even, dare I say, Arsenal are doing okay mm. for the minute. Mm. Again, Tottenham fans, don't send me angry tweets. <laughs> but, you know, Manchester United will stumble their way into the fourth place and it'll be a real scrap for them to get into the top six this season. And so then you do come back to a cup competition, which doesn't feel very Antonio Conte, to be like, right, we're going to focus on the EFL Cup. They've got West Ham in the next round, by the way. That won't be easy either. I genuinely think that can only be the way it makes sense is for that second season. Get us in the top six this season. Get us in the top four the season after that. And we'll wave you off to Real Madrid or Man United or somewhere else. Thanks very much. You're speaking of such realism here. I, thought, I, can't, see, <laughs> I can't see him have accepted this, having accepted this job without a bit of a war chest. And what's a war chest? I'm not going to put a number on it. Oh, come on. Oh, Blue, boring. Oh, on. Put a matter? number on it. Nine. Well, it, it does might, matter. It, it might, does matter. It how, many, how many players do you think they need to challenge the squads of Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea and Liverpool? Half a dozen. I can't see why he would have accepted this job 
without a guarantee of, of having money to spend. He's not someone, you know, there was that quote he said where you know, he can accept there being a 1% chance of him, of him not winning the title, basically, uh, when he goes into a job. But, you know, he, he won't see it as any more than that. So I think if he's been realistic at the moment, as far as it's a fair bit bigger than 1%, and it would be probably for the next year. But He's got a 1% chance of winning it rather than of not winning it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's also easy to get swept up. He's the, he's the best out-of-work manager in the world just yeah. now. It's easy to get swept up in his record. At like, you know, Juventus finished seventh the season before he came and the next season they went unbeaten to win the league. Chelsea finished 10th under Mourinho and, and Hiddinkt. The next season they won the league. Everyone talks about the 3-5 too, but they scored 85 goals as well. They were a formidable team, like by far and away the best team in the country that year. And at Inter, they'd been nine years without winning the Scudetto. His first season, improved them by 13 points. Second season, champions. He's had money to spend. He has, there's no two ways about that. If he's given money to spend, he will greatly improve. There's another thing people have said, it's not, this is not hugely original, but he's basically what Tottenham thought they were getting when they, when they hired Mourinho. But like Mourinho is a busted flush. Ten years ago, hiring Mourinho would have been a, a, a massive coup. It still was as a name, but he's not, he's not the same force. Conte is, he still is, he's very current and uh, look, I'd be hugely excited for the Spurs because it's a change in direction too, I think it's a change in direction as as I say, for that reason he he would not have accepted this job without guarantees that he could put together a team that was able to compete for the Premier League title I love doing predictions on this podcast Yeah, the very very simple (laughs) just a one word answer gentlemen Ian, will Antonio Conte be a success at Spurs? Yes but less successful than at his previous clubs. Tom? Yes, I think he'll spend money. I think he'll get them into the top four in the second season and that's success. Gregor? Yes. Unbelievable. I don't have to qualify it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, I I would say I I don't think he will. I've put one big caveat on that. Solskjaer is the great leveller in the race for the Champions League. So if he continues to have Manchester United play the way that they're playing, that opens the door massively and improves Spurs' chances of reaching the top four, whether it's this season or next season. Uh, The other thing that I would say is I think he can do it and be very successful, but he would need a massive war chest. So he would need, in my opinion... I agree with you, Tom, upwards of 200 million, if not 250 million quid. He's only going to be there for 18 months, possibly 30 months. So, But that is the other thing, isn't it? You mentioned Solskjaer and United giving them a chance like that. It, um, it, maybe Ian will correct me if I'm wrong here, but sometimes I feel like he's gone into clubs at a good moment in the wider context. And that's that, that's not me doing, you know, so when I'm talking about Tottenham's prospects, I'm not doing Conte down or Tottenham down necessarily, but you look at the three clubs Chelsea Liverpool Man City are probably three of the strongest clubs in Europe in this league that he's going at against so that's why I'm talking about finishing fourth in some of those other clubs he's gone in at a good time you know with Inter I think Juve were in a bit of a mess in terms of where they were going trying to, you know had Ronaldo wasn't wasn't quite working for them Chelsea similarly that Premier League season it felt like it all clicked into place in terms of other teams not parting ways for them to storm to the title but it, it, it had that feeling to it he's got such <laughs> tough competition I'm not doing David him down Luiz I'm in not, a back three and Victor Moses at right back I'm not doing like, him down I'm not doing down the players. achievement I'm not he doing down players. the achievement I'm not doing players. down the achievement and I'm just saying that now with Tottenham he's got a good five maybe even six teams that are already better than him yeah the competition is very different particularly to Italy it's like you know, I think with a, a bit of money spent, Inter had a, had a war chest. With a bit of money spent, they allowed him to to make up that gap very quickly. 
I, I think even with, as we're saying with quite a lot of money spent it's still a huge gap the other thing I found interesting you know I, I did a piece from, from Milan the Milan Derby and he's like one of the things he was always saying when he took the job was he wanted to make Inter credible again and it's like I don't know they're slip, you know because they had that anthem about Paza Inter crazy Inter but they always do something that kind of you know, Spurs are Spursy yeah. <laughs> what he will do is make them not Spursy anymore that's a guarantee so you know I would be very excited if I was a Tottenham fan absolutely um, well look Tottenham have solved their managerial quandary very very quickly we've got to uh, finish by talking about Newcastle United who haven't let's be frank their managerial search call it a saga if you will continues uh, Villarreal boss Unai Emery who was very strongly linked to replace Steve Bruce earlier this week however he has said in the social media post that Villarreal is my home and I'm 100% committed so the paper talk has now turned to the former Bournemouth boss Eddie Howe as the number one one contender before we get to how firstly I've got to say Gregor Saudi Arabia's PIF fund the 80% owners of Newcastle United have not had a good start have they no um, and neither you know neither is Amanda Stavely I think she spent so long sort of in the year of journalists <laughs> trying to trying to get you know the, the PR tone right in, in order to to complete the, the purchase of the club, that still it seems that little things have leaked out too early, and you know Emery has been upset by that. I think really they need to very quickly get a structure in place at that football club and somebody to run it who knows what they're doing. But it's, it, it seems like Emery has been upset by the fact that the, the details had emerged and he had a Champions League game to to play in. But I wouldn't be surprised either if he sat down and and looked at the glare that is on this football club because of who the owners are. And you know, coming back into the Premier League spotlight, and the state that Newcastle are in, and the state that Newcastle are in from top to bottom, as we say, you, when you go into a football club, you probably want to know who you're dealing with, who's going to be, be signing the players for you in January, see something, some semblance of mm-hmm. a structure. It's understandable he's had second thoughts. It, it was being reported by several newspapers that there was a, a possible clause on the table as well that if you're relegated this season with Newcastle, it would automatically terminate your contract. So it would be a very short-term appointment had he left and Newcastle eventually did go down. And rather, I think he would want to leave for the project itself and at least a few seasons to get it started at Newcastle United. But I, I agree with you. They need someone in place who knows the football because, I mean, what a shift. Either Unai or Eddie Howe I mean come on what's going on there seems to be no direction Tom well absolutely and you know we discussed it when the takeover was announced and I said why would you sack Steve Bruce so quickly and my learned friend Gregor said you've got to do it because of the optics but the problem with that is your optics have got to be good consistently you can get rid of the unpopular guy as long as you've got a plan in place and those optics are now not looking good for them because they looks, it looks completely haphazard the, the process to recruit you're now going from a guy who's got a team in the Champions League to a guy who's been out of work for about 18 months I think turned down or couldn't agree terms on a Celtic job and also I don't know whether Eddie Howe's the right man to get them out of this mess it's not that kind of track record of solidity and tough to break down was it is Bournemouth he's no Roy Hodgson he's not (laughs) I didn't didn't want to bring him up I didn't want to bring him up I know Ian already backs me up on that Sam Allardyce is waiting for the phone to ring isn't he right now he's sitting there every morning like I'm available you joke but 
You, it, I mean, you never know. He said himself last season he wants to be that guy that rescues teams. You know, that's he's comfortable with his position in football now, just waiting for the next, you know, damsel in distress to give him a call, shall we say. Um, but look, just briefly on that, you know, we've just talked and argued about Antonio Conte and Gregor's point is right that even though I was quite dismissive, it sounded like I'd still be excited if I was a Tottenham fan. Incredibly excited. I don't know how many Newcastle fans would be excited about Eddie Howe in the position they're in. But with all the fervour and excitement that's gone on around the club, Mike Ashley's out I think there's a lot of people who are now nervously thinking oh, this isn't quite as I've good got as to say, I think a lot of Newcastle fans would be happy with Eddie Howe just because in their minds he's perceived as a manager that plays attacking football I, I think yeah, there's a lot I of baggage around Eddie Howe now partly because he's Bournemouth and down at the end and partly because he's been out of work for so long now and no one seems to have, have taken the bite but still overlooks a kind of a progressive young fairly young English manager who did a, an extraordinary job yes Bournemouth have a, a wealthy benefactor uh, they spent a lot of money to get into the Premier League but it's Bournemouth and Bournemouth got into the Premier League under Eddie Howe and stayed there for quite a few for six seasons I think like, I think it's quite a lot to to gloss over if we're saying Eddie Howe is like a massive downgrade on Unai Emery Unai Emery had it's a great success in Europe well, he is sorry Eddie Howe is a big downgrade on Unai Emery well he is Okay, but his time in the Premier League uh, was pretty disastrous. I know I you agree. can look at his record. I you agree. can look at his record. I know this comes up on social media quite frequently. His record is fairly comparable with Arteta's. It certainly mm. wasn't until very recently, and it was a tough job, no doubt, following Arsene Wenger. But I also think there's still quite a lot of baggage around Unai Emery as well. Ian, is Eddie Howe the answer to this? He survived four Premier League seasons before relegation in his fifth with Bournemouth. Um, c- could he get? Yeah, not not, <laughs> not the worst. Um, could he get Newcastle firing? Yeah, I mean, he knows the territory. That's that's the one thing you could say that he has ahead of you know Emery, and I think probably the the only thing is that uh, the territory you know, being a relegation battle rather than English football. Well, you mean. yeah, exactly. Scrapping at the mm. at the bottom of that. But Newcastle have really it's really been a salutary lesson, hasn't it? That that you present yourself as the as the richest potentially football club in the world, and then the person you want rejects you for literally the smallest football club that plays in Europe in in what is no more than a small village in the south of Spain it's uh, uh it shows how much Newcastle have have been diminished up to the stage of this takeover and that you know they've really got to deal with with that situation before they start making great big boasts to to good accomplished worldly managers I find the whole situation to be quite strange Graham Jones in charge for a couple of games where for me Newcastle have got worse I mean the first thing you would do it's urgent you know you're in a relegation dogfight you need the manager in immediately but you need the right people at the club as well to have no plan it seems like they had no plan. A technical director, a sporting director, you know, a prospective new manager. You know, it's a crisis. You, you, you're 19th in the Premier League for a reason. I just can't believe that they haven't got someone in now. And I think it has to be someone with a record of strong, a strong defence. I mean, at least like, whatever you want to say about Eddie Howe's football. I don't think I ever saw one of his Bournemouth teams in the Premier League. Uh, what you could define as even a good defence, to be perfectly honest. Passable, yes. That's about it. He can't be the guy. They had a few good moments. Roy Hodgson, Roy Hodgson. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I won't do it again because Greg is next to me this time, so he might hit me <laughs> unlike last time when it was over Zoom. But no, yeah, I, I'm with you, Hugh, but it's coming. It's also coming to a point, we go back to that optics thing again where they've just got to hire someone now because, as you say, I, Graham Jones, I think he's a talented coach. 
it's an incredibly difficult task that he was given uh, taking over in a short time after Steve Bruce they've just got to pick someone now haven't they because it, it then becomes about optic it also becomes about a plan we're into November now if they're going to start spending all this money you've got to pick a manager who can start saying right we want to go after him him and him you've got to start making those moves before the January window because you don't want to be leaving it to the last day of the January window that again would be chaotic that's what they've got to learn from this manager process they've got to do that with the player signings if they're getting to January the middle of January and they've not signed anyone that'll again be an absolute shambles because they've been in they've been in place for a couple of months they should be making these lists doing their scouting and putting the feelers out there for these transfers you need a manager in there to start doing that first it's just abundantly clear that they were as almost as surprised by the speed with which this developed <laughs> and the sale was you know the purchase was completed as we all were and they had no they had no real plan in place and they need to get on pretty sharpish uh, we will see what happens with Newcastle United just finally on it people are linking Frank Lampard as well other managers Roy Hodgson could he really go to Newcastle I mean he won't but that's the kind of manager that I think they need move on here what do you think Gregor <laughs> who, who do they need it's not easy there's not many names that leap to mind I mean Frank Lampard Sean Dyche Frank Lampard qualified for that Sean, Sean Dyche would be a good appointment but they won't do it Sean yeah. Dyche would be a great appointment because you instantly weaken a rival as well mm, mm. you take a manager from Burnley you, you say right we'll take Sean Dyche and James Tarkovsky and Dwight McNeil and here's however many million cheers thanks very much that probably keeps us in the Premier League and sends Burnley down in our place fantastic Ian who would you want in charge you know take your pick across Europe if you like Roy Hodgson did a superb job saving Fulham in a very very similar situation some years ago and then two seasons later they were in a European final there you go there voila. you have it voila Ian Hawkey Gregor Robertson Tom Clark thank you for being with me on the game podcast today and thank you all for listening as well remember if you're enjoying it rate us leave us a review wherever you listen and also make sure you're subscribed to the Times and the Sunday Times. If you sign up today, you can get yourself one month free. Go online, check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We will see you on Monday. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. <laughs>